0: Praise the Lord. Here we go. If you guys would turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10 and 11. Oh Wow, thank you, Lord, for your presence. What a sweet time of worship with you guys this morning. And communion, oh my gosh. Thank you, Lord. Um, we've been studying. Uh, sorry, my name is Joshua Kagan. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, uh, I'd be honored to do so. And I get the great privilege of getting to be on the teaching team here at Shine Church. We're teaching through the book of Mark. And uh, if I can summarize our agenda, if I'm allowed to say that for the rest of the teaching team, please forgive me if I'm not. (laughs) Um, I think our agenda through, through studying a gospel, going through the book of Mark, is that you would see Jesus more clearly than you did before that we would find who Jesus truly is and that we would be renewed in our understanding of his kingdom. That we would understand the true nature of the kingdom of heaven. There are two kingdoms on the earth, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. You're in one of them. Everybody's in one of them. There's no middle ground. There's the kingdom of heaven there's the kingdom of hell. There's the kingdom of love. There's the kingdom of fear. There are two kingdoms on earth. Jesus is ruling and reigning over one kingdom. He came to preach. We, we already looked at it, Mark chapter one. He came to preach what message? Yell it out to me, the first words out of Jesus' mouth, mouth, really in every gospel, but in, in the gospel of Mark, Repent. The kingdom of God God is here. It's a pretty big deal. It's a massive deal. Your salvation is you saying, Jesus, I no longer want to live for the ruling ruler of the kingdom of hell and darkness. Who is who? That's kind of a trick question. I want you to think about that for a second. Whoa. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's me. The ruler of the kingdom of darkness is me. It is Satan. When I am on the throne, when Satan's on the throne. Satan's only here to get you to worship yourself, to miss God, and his glory, and his love. That's his only agenda. He's he's judged and condemned to hell forever. All he can do is, is divert people's eyes away from the true glory and the true love of Jesus Christ and the true salvation. That's all he can do in your lifetime. So he wants you to be on the throne. He wants you to serve yourself. He wants you to get your own because all he has to prevent is God from getting what's his. That's all he has to prevent. And Jesus' love is pursuing us. So we have this kingdom, and Jesus is here preaching a kingdom And he says, I'm the only gate and the only entrance into this kingdom. And I want you to know me. Literally, the word become flesh. Literally, God's heart and his love becomes personified, becomes a person. I want you to see me and know me. But then I want you to understand the kingdom of heaven. Because, and let me read this passage to you really quick in Mark chapter 11. We're looking at two chapters today. We'll see how much we get through. But in Mark chapter 11, The beginning of Mark chapter 11, we have a triumphal entry. We have a king coming in to rule and reign, at least that's what everybody thinks. Listen to this verse. Uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 9. Then those who went before him, you guys know the triumphal entry. Jesus is coming back into Jerusalem. This is a really popular story. Um, So all these Jews now are pretty, a lot of Jews are pretty convinced that Jesus is is gonna be king, he's gonna be the Messiah. He's fulfilled all of these prophecies and like, it's kinda of weird and I kinda of don't understand it, but like, I, I think he's, this could be it. This actually might be the Messiah. I, it's, but there's a lot of weird things that I don't understand yet as, as a Jewish believer, like things that don't make sense, but, but man, he's doing miracles. Uh, like There's a lot that does make sense, so I'm, I'm really confused. So we get here, Jerusalem is waiting for their king, the Messiah, and they say this, and this is funny too. Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. This is awesome, right? Like, can you imagine if if uh, President Biden was coming into Castle Rock, and and all the the typical like, all right, we've got all these big cars and we've got these parades uh, and whatever, whatever. You know, whoever whoever your your uh, champion uh, king or queen is of the world or or the leader of our nation comes into Castle Rock, and what if he's like by himself? driving like a rusty Ford Taurus. And he, and he just comes into Castle Rock and like, I'm here. Like, So if we miss what Jesus does, because all he's trying to do is demonstrate the kingdom of heaven, and if we miss his humility and his servant-heartedness, and if we miss that he's just trying to pour out his love, and he's trying to preach a kingdom that the Jews at this time are not getting, because they're all saying in verse 10, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, verse 10, blessed is the kingdom, the kingdom of our father David. All right, our Messiah is here, and he's coming to set up his kingdom. Well, Jesus isn't the Messiah they thought he was gonna be. And he wasn't setting up the kingdom they thought he was gonna set up. So I hope, 2,000 years later, as people are crying Hosanna, what does Hosanna mean? Does anybody know this definition? You can yell it out. Save us, we pray. Us, we pray. Rescue us, we pray. Like, who in the world is not crying Hosanna right now? Save us. And Jesus is like, what you're wanting me to save you from is not my agenda. I'm trying to save you to something that's way bigger than what you're feeling right now. Because the Jews wanted to be saved from taxation. They wanted to be saved from political manipulation. They wanted to be saved from, from earthly poverty financial poverty. They wanted to be saved, you name it. We can go down the list of, Hosanna, save us, you're finally here. And he's like, I'm here to save you from yourself. (sighs) Oh, I don't know if we want this guy. I don't know if we want this guy. And I'm here to set up a kingdom that's actually not of this earth. So we're gonna start with that foundation Mark chapter 11, and go back to Mark chapter 10 and the beginning of Mark chapter 10, and Jesus is going to demonstrate and teach the kingdom of heaven. He is trying to get it in our hearts, what the kingdom of heaven looks like, and he's doing that by demonstration and by teaching. And so we start with chapter 10, the passages that I've been uh, given the privilege to preach, chapter 10 and 11, and here's the first part. Here's the first part of Mark chapter 10. He rose, verse one, then he arose from there and he came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan and multitudes gathered to him again and, he, and as he was accustomed, he taught them again. The Pharisees, who are Pharisees, shout it out, religious leaders, great, I heard that, religious leaders came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Don't forget the second, this last phrase right here they were testing him. Can anybody tell me, and we're gonna, we have some mics, uh, or maybe you can just shout it out. If we have the mics going around, why do religious people want to test Jesus? Why is this like a reoccurring theme all the time? What's the agenda with the spirit of religion? Somebody raise your hand for a microphone. I want, I want thoughts. I want to I wrestle this out. I'm I'm not here to teach you what to think i 'm here to teach you how to think. like come on, let 's wrestle this let 's fight for why are they testing him? Just no no wrong answer. Yes, right here. Acceptance oh here 's a microphone
1: My name is Sandra. I would say um, it 's acceptance through performance.
0: Okay. They want acceptance through performance. maybe maybe the Pharisees, I love that that it doesn't say why they were testing him here. It is open for interpretation. A lot of religious people, and as you kind of study the the religious, um, even Judaism back in the first century, there was all these sects of Judaism. There's all these uh, different different, um, uh, followers from different teachers who were wrestling out all these topics about divorce, and they're wrestling out everything because my end goal is like, I wanna be accepted by everybody. Maybe I wanna be accepted by this, this Jesus guy who's now really famous and he's really cool and he's got the crowds following him. So maybe, maybe they're fight for acceptance. So great, that's where they're testing Jesus. Where else?
1: Hey, my name's Lauren. Um, I think that he's been embarrassing them and it's really important to them to discredit him
0: because okay. they need to
1: be accepted and have power.
0: Here we go. So we're going to discredit Jesus. We've got to discredit him. So the test is uh, he's not going to know what we know. He's not going to know the Mosaic law. He's not, know the, he's not going to know the Torah. We've studied it. We're awesome. We've memorized it. And so we're going to test him and find out that he's wrong. And so finally, we can call him a heretic, and we can, we can discredit him in some way, shape, or portion. Uh, because my end goal as a religious person is to be right. Watch out. Watch out religious hearts in this room. I'm talking to myself. When your goal is to be right, you miss the righteousness of God. Being right and being righteous are two different things. Righteousness is being united with the love of God. Righteousness is being united and congruent with the heart of God. Righteousness is walking in congruency with what and all that heaven is. Not just being right. Not just being correct. Not just having to be right about the way I perceive things or the way, because Jesus is getting ready to get a little wild here in a second. Do we have another comment on this?
1: Uh, Yeah, my name's Amy. Um, The thing is, I think the religious spirit is all about um, binding and and keeping someone bound. And so um, that way it has control. Whoa. And Jesus was about freedom. And um, humility and walking in that. And when you're in humility, you can move with him. You can keep step with him. But if you are bound by a religious spirit, you're stuck and you can't move.
0: Whoa, whoa. Religion will keep you bound. Because here people are fighting about divorce. And everybody wants to be right with when you can do a divorce, when you can't do a divorce, when you can get remarried, when you can't get remarried. And like, we're gonna argue about right when you can or when you can or when it's wrong or when. And so it's all forms of different types of being bound. It's all forms of not knowing the freedom that's in God's love. And and I'm gonna talk about this in a second, but I love that. Was there any last comments on religious people testing Jesus?
1: The religious people, the Pharisees, had created so many man-made laws that the people were bound, just like she was saying. They were bound by these man-made laws that yeah. they had put yeah. down that were in addition and over what Moses had written down. And they were binding the people and he was constantly coming against them yeah. and their religious man-made laws. Come on. And so they, they couldn't be free. And that's why almost every time he healed, almost every time he made um, something happen, it was always against their man-made laws. It yeah. was not against the Torah or, the, or who he represented, yeah. the Father God. Yeah.
0: That is a great segue into exactly Jesus' comment. Listen to Jesus' comment. All right? Is it lawful, verse 2, chapter 10, verse 2, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And Jesus' answer, and he answered and said to to them, what did Moses command you? (laughs) This is another trick. Jesus is an awesome, like, oh. Anyway, verse 4, they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Have you guys read Deuteronomy chapter 24? The little teeny, like, three verses that talk about divorce in the whole Testament in this sense? Moses wasn't permitting it. <laughs> he was talking about a disunity with the heart of God. Like, he said, if you divorce, if you go back and read Deuteronomy, if you divorce and you get remarried and then you divorce again and you get remarried, then you can't, bring, then you can't get remarried again to the same person you divorced... Uh, because it's, it's against this covenant. It's, it's against, it would, it would ultimately God's, God's goal was purity in covenant. God's goal, when you look at the covenants, when you look at the rules for Israel, there was a lot of re- weird rules, right? You can't wear mixed cottons and cloths. You can't uh, do your, your beard in a certain way, right? We look at these rules, and, and these, were, these were stipulations that uh, God set in order to separate Israel from the rest of the world These are not things that we as Christians, we as believers in the new covenant, walking in the new covenant, you guys don't shape your beard a certain way. You don't wear unmixed cottons. God was all about purity. He was all about setting apart these people, this bride, Israel to himself. All right? So Moses writes about this, and he's saying, like, these are all the ways you're not finding the purity of God and the heart of God and the love of God. And he writes it for a couple verses back in Deuteronomy. And Jesus says this, uh, verse 5. You have to hear this. Jesus answered and said to them, these religious leaders, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. Because from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate The issue is not divorce. The issue is covenantal love. The issue is God's presence. The issue is knowing God's heart and his heart for unity. He says the issue is not because of divorce. We're not arguing divorce here. We're arguing over what part of your life or your spouse's life did your heart get hard. Somebody tell me what the opposite of a hard heart is. Soft Tell me about a soft heart. Tell me tell me more elements of a soft heart. What is what is a soft heart? Pliable, Pliable flexible. flexible, malleable, teachable, fillable, moldable. Throw more words out there. Repentable, humble. humble, loving at some at some place in your walk with God. We started to leave the reality of God's love, and our heart started to get hard. Soft hearts cannot be broken. Hard hearts. Hard hearts are the only hearts that can be broken. He's not talking about marriage and divorce here. He starts off the whole comment towards the religious people saying, you don't understand the kingdom of heaven. Your hearts were hard. The fact that Moses would even write about divorce. Like, Moses, (laughs) let's even go further back. There would be no need for the Torah if in the garden you didn't leave the love of God. There would be no need for the law. There would be no need for the Ten Commandments if you hadn't ever left my presence and my love. Because love knows no difference than God's righteousness and his beauty and his glory. God wants nothing, or love wants nothing more than God's presence. And to emulate God's presence to the earth. But at some point, at some point, Adam and Eve walked into the middle of the garden. Have you ever considered that? God put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil dead center in the middle of the garden just so that Adam and Eve would have to walk a hundred miles past of all his glory and all of his goodness and all of his provision and all of his love to get to the one point where they say, but is it enough? But do I really have everything? Is God holding back something from me that I deserve? He put the tree in the middle of the garden and said, you don't want to eat from this. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat from this, your heart will no longer be soft. It will no longer be pliable. It will no longer be able to receive my love because now you'll have a knowledge of good and evil before you only had a knowledge of love. Before you only had a knowledge of presence. There was no concept of good and evil. Because good and evil only exists outside of the love of God. Like The whole New Testament talks about God being light, and in him there is no darkness, and even darkness is as light to him. Jesus is fighting for a deeper concept than divorce and remarriage. He's saying somewhere your hearts have gotten hard. You're missing everything. In verse 11 he says, So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. We sit here and look at this passage, and as Christians, we wrestle. Who's committing adultery? Oh, you're committing adultery. Oh, you're getting ready to divorce me. and you're getting ready. And I'm going to commit adultery. No, you're going to commit adultery. We sit here and argue, and we miss everything. It's not about adultery. Adultery, divorce, is just a symptom of hard-heartedness. And God's not here to condemn your hard-heartedness or judge your hard-heartedness. He's here to show you his love to get your heart back to a soft place. He's here to tell you where you've missed it and that he loves you. Did you know that Jesus, that God himself divorced Israel? Read Jeremiah chapter three. He's issued a letter of divorce to Israel. So if you're sitting here telling me, well, God hates divorce, then why did he do it? because of her hard heart. And let me tell you something, Jesus never left Israel, not once. God never left Israel. For 3,000 years he's been pursuing Israel. He may have issued a letter of divorce back in Jeremiah three, but in Hosea he says, I'm continuing to woo her out into the wilderness so that she'll understand how much I love her again and again and she'll understand finally that only in my love will she find the peace that she needs. Only will she find the security that she needs. Only will she find the satisfaction that she needs because in my presence there's fullness of joy and at my right hand there's pleasure forevermore and you're not gonna find it anywhere else. Everything else is insatiable. You will never be satisfied anywhere but my presence and my love. He issues her a divorce and then he keeps pursuing her and to this day God is pursuing Israel. And if for one moment you think, Well, he issued her a divorce and then he got remarried. He grabbed me. He grabbed a Gentile. He did not remarry you, Gentile. He said you were grafted into the tree. That means the roots are still there. That means he allows you to be a part of Israel, his wife. You get to be a part of her. You are not her. The roots are still there and he's still going after Israel because love knows covenant and God made a covenant with Abraham that is unbreakable. And love knows an unbreakable covenant, and that's something I know we don't understand. In America, it's hard to understand, and it's grievous to understand. When we make a vow at the altar with our spouse, and I'm I'm sitting here speaking from testimony, I've wanted to physically divorce my wife before. I've been in the moment when I did not want to love anymore. It's just too hard. It's too hard, and I really believed, and it might have been true, that if I divorced my wife right now, life would be a little bit easier. That actually probably would have been true. My wife's the most incredible woman in the world. In <laughs> the definition of incredible <laughs> is somebody who makes you better and pushes you closer to Jesus. It's not somebody who makes you happier and comfortable and and makes life easy for you. God had to remind me what love was. And it was a really hard choice in a week of nightmare to say, I wanna stay stay married. And both of us had a lot of sin to confess and I had a lot of pride and I had a lot of self-righteousness and I had a long journey to go because for a moment I lost sight of God's love and I didn't care anymore. And I'm not saying that maybe that was you. There's a lot of people in this room who are divorced. I get it. It's real. Somewhere, someone had hard heart. Somewhere, somebody left the presence of God. I'm not saying it was you. It might have been your spouse. Maybe it was both of you. I'm here to preach the love of God, that he loves you, and there's always a place. There's always a place in God's heart for you and for remarriage and for another person. God's grace is so so outside of our minds. Like, if we're still talking about marriage, we miss the whole reality of kingdom. Jesus says, in heaven, you're not even given in marriage. We're wrestling out these earthly ideas. You're not even given in marriage. The only person you're married to is Jesus in, in eternity. Marriage is such a temporal idea, it's a beautiful idea, and it makes us more like Christ, and it's the only thing in the beginning of creation that God said wasn't good that man would be alone. In all of his goodness, he said, that's ah, not good that, that humans are alone, so he, he gave Adam a wife and completed this, this fact of loneliness in humanity but there's a deeper realm of God's love and I want you to see Jesus in his heart and what he's trying to get through to these Pharisees, to these religious leaders. You're missing it. It's not about arguing all the semantics of <sighs> adultery and like those are all symptoms. We need to come back to the root and we're gonna. he actually gets to that in later chapters and we'll see if we get to that this morning. Verse 13, keep going with me. Then they brought little children to him that he might touch them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. I don't know how many of you guys saw this morning uh, during communion, little Elijah running around up here. During communion. Oh, Lord forbid, during communion. (laughs) Lord forbid. A year and a half year old ruining my experience with Jesus. (laughs) If a year and a half year old ruined your experience with Jesus, you don't know Jesus. And I had that thought for a second. I'm like, God, how deep does this godlessness go in me? That I would think you're more happy and satisfied and glorified with my Ability to sit in a perfect way and hold a cup in a perfect way and bow my head and say a really poetic prayer about your blood. That you're more glorified in that than you are with a a kid dancing on stage. Our hearts have a long ways to go, friends. Our hearts have a long ways to go. I don't think anything preaches communion and intimacy with Jesus Christ better than a one-year-old dancing on stage. (laughs) We're reading this right now. They brought the little children to him that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked those who brought them. So just a warning, if any of you were gonna go up to Dan afterwards or go up to (laughs) the sons and say, hey, you know, you need to rethink of, um, the way you did communion. It was really distracting. I'm going to save you the embarrassment and grief right now. I'm going to save your heart from receiving whatever God would have for you later this week. <laughs> I'm just going to say, don't pray like, oh, Jesus, take the wheel. He might take your front left wheel off while you're driving and not take, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that. Jesus is not like that. His love is too good for you. It's awesome. When Jesus saw it, he was greatly displeased and said to them, verse 14, let the little children come to me. Do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of God. Assuredly, that's a heavy word, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. We have to feel the weight of Jesus' Jesus's words. Here are the disciples. Okay, we already dealt with the Pharisees' hard hearts. Well, praise the Lord, because I'm not a Pharisee. I'm a disciple of Jesus. And now he has to, he has to pull them aside and with, with pretty passionate aggression say, look, These kids understand the kingdom of heaven far more than you do. Because you're here to get something from me. You want a word. You want some encouragement. You you want free bread and fish. You want a miracle and a magic show. You want me to help you out with your bills. These kids just want to give me a hug. They just want to give me a hug, and that's it. They're satisfied. They know no want. Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. I know no want. I lack nothing at all, for he leads me beside the still waters to lie down in the green pastures. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. It's not about me. And to the degree that it's about him, I'll know, I'll know love, and I'll know pleasure, and I'll know goodness, and I'll know peace. To the degree that I act like a child in innocence and in purity, in abandon, in, in honesty. Oh my gosh, kids are a little too transparent, Right? No, they're, they're real. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God as a little child will by no means enter it. And then he took the kids up in his arms and laid his hands on them and blessed them. There are some of us in this room, I don't know if you're a Pharisee and you're standing on that outer circle trying to argue all the semantics of the Bible, or if you're a disciple and you really think you're, you believe Jesus and you're walking with Jesus, but the, the fact of the matter is you're still five feet away trying to crowd control everybody. Some of us need to step into the arms of Jesus for the first time and just say, I can't believe how loved I am. I know this divorce hurts. I know the tragic loss of my best friend hurts, but Romans 8 says nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing, not heights, not depths, not angels, not principalities, not life, not death, not heaven, not hell, nothing can separate me from the love of God. And so I'm going to sit here in his warm embrace, and this morning I'm going to go for a walk for two hours, and I'm just going to hold his hand and walk with him, and listen to his voice over my heart because he's not pleased with me because of what I do or what I didn't do or what I he's not displeased with me with with what I did that was evil all of his pleasure that is found in me and that is overflowing and abundant is because Jesus Christ is in me the hope of glory and it's not it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me this life that I now live in the flesh I live by faith in the son of god who loves me and gave himself for me. Verse 17. Now as he was going out on the road, one came running, knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? Okay, so we have this guy running to Jesus kneels before him, some form of desperation or honor. Some pretty in- intense plea. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? I'm looking for this life that you're teaching about, and that you're promising and that you're demonstrating, but I don't understand it. What is this, eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one that is God. Jesus just throwing in a little quick, I am God, a little quick shove for his deity, it's awesome. Uh, and then he goes into verse 19, you know the commandments. Do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, and he answered and said to him, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. I'm a really, really good person. Why am I not experiencing life and life abundant? I think I've done everything right. What am I missing? I've gone to church all these years. I tried to do the best things. I got let go from my job because I took a stand for what's right. Like, I'm a really good guy, Jesus, and I'm still not experiencing life. This eternal life that you're talking about. Verse 21, then Jesus looked at him. Say the next words out loud and loved him, and loved him, and loved him. Guys, there's some self-righteous people out there. I used to be one of them, and, and sometimes God reveals more of that in me, that he's cleansing, but we condemn them because they're so self-righteous and religious, and they're really, really good people. Uh, they haven't done anything wrong, or whatever it is. If you condemn them, if you see them in any other lens than that, the, that God loves them, and that God has compassion on them and just wants them to get it, you're missing some aspect of God's love. You're missing some deep, deep aspect of God's love. Because I used to go around, after I, after I got freed from self-righteousness, this is hilarious, by the way, <laughs> then I started to condemn all the self-righteous people. <laughs> How ironic is that? You go from extreme self-righteousness to more extreme self-righteousness. And now you know the truth. Jesus looked at him, probably in the eyes, and just loved him. Until you experience the love of God, you cannot change. You cannot experience eternal life. You will not The love of God is not found in just being good, in just doing all the things right. Ephesians 3 talks about, oh, if you would know the love of Christ, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth, to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge or understanding. You actually can't just figure it out. You actually just can't do it. You would be filled with the fullness of God. It's only found in intimate pursuit of his presence. And that's weird But here we go, this is what Jesus did. He looked at him, he loved him and said to him, one thing you lack. How many of us are sitting in this room right now condemned, shamed by the enemy, by ourselves, by our thoughts? I lack so much. I've messed up so many times. I fall so short of the glory of God. I've got 376 things that I lack. No, you don't. You only lack one thing. Everybody in all humanity only lacks one thing. What is that thing? And then Jesus tells him to do something. It's a test. Verse 21, then Jesus looked at him, loved him, and said, one thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasures in heaven and come take up the cross and follow me. The one thing you lack is that you do not have the perspective of heaven that I do. The one thing you lack is you do not understand the love of God like I do, Jesus speaking. The one thing you lack is that, is that heaven hasn't gotten inside of you yet. You're still trying to earn it and achieve it and do it. Well, then, then how, do I let leaven, how do I let heaven inside? How do I receive this kingdom of heaven like a child? How do I experience eternal life? I'm asking you, God. Oh, it's not something you can understand. You need to go do it. And here's, here's what I'm gonna reveal to you. I want you to go your way, sell whatever you have, and give it all to the poor. What does that have to do with experiencing the kingdom of heaven? Somebody tell me, why would Jesus say go sell everything and give it to the poor? Hmm, you can shout it out. Love, love, but pure-hearted love. Pure-hearted love. Give, whoa, give up your connection to earth and, and take up a connection with heaven. How? What would it take for a wealthy, successful, good person to experience heaven? He's going to have to go sell. Okay, so he's, he's going to say why here in a second. Go sell everything that you have, okay? That's a lot of stuff, got it. Like I'm pretty successful. I've been a really good businessman. Uh like I've done really good things. I followed Jewish customs, which which even Jewish laws and Jewish customs teach me how to use money and, and I've done it really well. And so like it's because of you and your teaching and your wisdom that I I am so successful and I am so good. So like thank you, Lord, that you no. Know, the reality is your treasures are still on earth. Your perspective is still on earth. Your heart is still on earth. And until you go and sell everything, because you're probably really good salesman, you're a successful business guy. So I'm going to show you a piece of your gift. Go sell everything. Then I want you to hold $5 million cash in your hands. And I want you to go against every earthly gut instinct in your soul. And I want you to just go give it to a homeless guy. Oh, but God, but God, wait. <laughs> I've got chapter after chapter after chapter of telling you why that's not a great idea. And you know what? Like if I give him $5 million to a, to a homeless guy, like he, he'll probably misappropriate it and it'll probably turn him into drugs and he'll probably get alcohol and he'll probably even die because I gave him five. Okay, Jesus is saying, I want you to hold all that cash in your hands. I want you to let it go for the first time. In your life, because I don't want you to have any connection to this earth. And then I want you to go against everything that you thought and believed in your business practices, in your economy practices, and in your ideals of how the world should function, because, because my whole heart is that you would just obey me and trust me alone, that you would love me with everything. That's it. It's not about what the homeless guy's gonna do with the money. It's not even about money. He says, and come, take up your cross and follow me. What is preventing you from being in my arms? Back to the Pharisees, back to the disciples, back to the children, something's preventing you from my love. And it might be your incredible obedience to my word in your own understanding of it because I demand complete and total reliance and trust. Everything God has saved us for, the whole reason he sent Jesus to this earth is to restore relationship. And you do not have relationship without trust. Trust is the foundation of relationship. Everybody in this room who's been divorced knows that somewhere along the line, trust was broken and it maybe was not restorable. And Jesus is saying, do you trust my love? No, honestly, I trust money a little bit more because God, sometimes your love isn't as comfortable as my money. Well, you haven't experienced the comforting glory of God's spirit yet. If you think love gives if you think money or if you think good deeds give you more pleasure or more security or more happiness then god 's love you do not understand the kingdom of heaven yet you 've not encountered the love of God yet he 's not talking about being rich or poor and he 's going to go into that here in a second. Come take up your cross that 's weird he hasn 't even died yet he hasn 't talked too much about crucifixion he does say. In in recent passages, that he's he is going to die and be crucified, but why is he telling him to take up his cross and follow him? Like a cross is like watching marching through the streets of Jerusalem with a cross says uh, this is the ultimate shame. Like all of the world looks down on me, and there's nothing you can do about it. Like you're a criminal. You're a criminal. You're a piece of trash. Uh, There has to be a form of humility that says I don't care what anybody thinks about me. I only care who Jesus is and what he thinks about me. So unless you're willing to take up your cross and actually come with me and be with me and follow me, you will never experience the kingdom of heaven. I don't care how good you are, how religious you are, how wealthy you are, how successful you are. It's not about that. You get to the end of life and you say, God, I've been such a great steward. When I was young, I was really, really poor. And at the end of my life, I had a net worth of $5 million. Put her there, God. I increased in an in overall net worth. Oh, Lord Jesus. What's the net worth of your love? There's a lot of people going to get to heaven and say, God, didn't I do a lot of things for you? I even cast out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. I... I gave away all that I had to the poor and the needy. And without love, 1 Corinthians 13 says, it is all for nothing, for nothing, of no value, but birthed in the love of Christ, but birthed in the genuine heart of, God, I love you, and this is for you, and God, I love you, and your love for me is all I need. I'm gonna... We got about 20 verses into the 100 verses I was asked to preach today. I'm going to stop and I'm going to read you a story really quick. Have you guys ever heard of this book? The Giving Tree? This may be the most gospel book I've ever read in my life. And I felt prompted to, to read it this morning. It's a kid's book. I'll try to even show you the pictures. But if you just need to listen and close your eyes, that's fine. Once there was a tree. And she loved a little boy. And every day the boy would come. And he would gather her leaves. And make them into crowns and play king of the forest. He would climb up her trunk and swing from her branches and eat apples. And they would play hide and go seek. And when he was tired, he would sleep In her hands. It's the little boy at the bottom of the tree. And the boy loved the tree very much. And the tree was so happy. But time went by, and the boy grew older. Instead of just a heart with him and the tree's initials, now he has a heart with maybe a girlfriend, and there's a girlfriend sitting under the tree. And the tree found, him, found herself often alone. Then one day the boy came to the tree, and the tree said, Come, boy. Come and climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and and eat my apples and play in my shade and be truly happy. And the boy replied, I am too big to climb and to play. I want to buy things and I want to have fun. I want some money. Can you give me some money? I'm sorry, said the tree, but I have no money. I have only leaves and apples take my apples, boy, and sell them in the city, and and then you'll have money, and, and then maybe you'll be happy. And so the boy climbed up the tree and gathered her apples and carried them away, and the tree was happy. But the boy stayed away for a long time, and the tree was sad. And then one day the boy came back, And the tree shook with joy and she said, come boy, climb up my trunk and swing from my branches and be happy. I'm too busy to climb now, said the boy. I want a house to keep me warm. I want a wife and I want children. And so I need a house. Can you give me a house? Well, I have no house, said the tree. The forest is my house, but you may cut off my branches and build yourself a house and then you, maybe you'll be happy. So the boy cut off her branches and carried them all away and built his house. And the tree was still happy. The boy stayed away for a long time. And when he came back, the tree was so happy. She could hardly speak, come boy, she whispered, come and play. I'm too old and sad to play now, said the boy. I want a boat that will take me far away from here. Can you give me a boat? I'll cut down my trunk and, and make a boat, said the tree. Then you can sail away and, and maybe you can be happy. So the boy cut down her trunk and he made a boat and he sailed away. So the tree was happy, but not really. After a long time, the boy came back. I'm sorry, boy, said the tree, but I have nothing left to give you. My apples are all gone. My teeth are too weak for apples, said the boy. My branches are all gone, said the tree. You cannot swing on them. I'm too old to swing on branches, said the boy. My trunk is gone, said the tree. You can't climb. I'm too tired to climb, said the boy. I'm so sorry, sighed the tree. I wish that I could give you something, but I have nothing left. I'm just an old stump, and I'm very sorry. I don't need very much anymore, said the boy. Just a quiet place to sit and rest. I'm very tired. Well, said the tree, straightening herself up as much as she could with her stump. An old stump is good for sitting and resting. Come, boy, sit down, sit down and rest. And the boy did. and the tree was happy. God's happiness is not dictated by the things you've done, the places you've ran outside of his love. His happiness is found found in Jesus. And the fact that you accepted Jesus your happiness is determined by how much you accept God's love and find it to be enough. I pray that we don't get to the end of our lives and come back to God for the final time and say, God, I, I thought everything else would have been worth it. I thought everything else was going to satisfy. I thought everything else was eternal life and life more abundant. God's like, no, the end, the beginning was just me. The message was just me and my love. The whole, the whole story was just me and my love. And there's nothing that exists outside of that. So everywhere where you're searching, everywhere where you're looking, everywhere where you're fighting to find ex- find acceptance, to find purpose, to find motivation, to find inspiration, to find a life, to find happiness, to find value outside of the love of God. It's going to crush you and it's going to turn your heart hard. So let me pray for, for God's love to transform us. Father, thank you so much for Jesus and his passion to preach this message of the kingdom of heaven that all of these topics, all of these people were missing it, except for the little kids. Except for the little kids, the only ones who didn't miss it. Because they just wanted you. They just wanted to be touched. And they were completely satisfied with that. Lord, would you take the passions and desires of our hearts and re- re-aim them at your heart that you would be the only thing that satisfies, that you would be the only thing that nourishes and all the things that we thought that were going to finally bring us happiness and, and all of the, the relationships that we thought were going to bring us satisfaction and joy and all of the good deeds that we did that we thought would make us acceptable in your sight and you look at us and say it's not about who you are what you do. It's about my son and you and I love you. And there's nothing that can keep you from my love except for you. So I'm going to keep on loving you. Father, thank you for your love. Would you just uh, reignite our hearts in your love this morning? And would we in return give back all of that love and be satisfied in your branches, satisfied in your wings, satisfied in your grace? We pray this in the awesome and powerful name of Jesus. Amen.